Welcome to Braver Leaders, the podcast where we meet with some of the world's best leaders and chat through where they got leadership right, but importantly, where they got it very wrong. Where they stuffed it up, got reprimanded, suspended, or even fired, and all the gory details that go with it. Each week, we'll meet with a new leader, hear their trials, tribulations, and what they have learned from their experiences. Leadership isn't always pretty, is it? But by being vulnerable and talking about our shortcomings, you can grow the empathy within your team and show your team that you're worthy of their trust. So buckle up and let's get ready to hear what it takes to be a braver leader. Welcome to the Braver Leaders Podcast, the podcast where we talk with leaders about what they got right, but also importantly, what they got very, very wrong. And today I am joined by Jan Barthelemy, who is the VP of Global Sales at Lidu Marketing Technology. He's a good friend of mine, um, and he's, he's a Norwegian and American chap, has never lived in either, either of those countries. Uh, that's not quite true, but <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I haven't lived uh, that many years in either country. Okay, I've okay. been a bit of a nomad. Okay, you've lived at quite a few places, though, yeah? Uh, yeah, I was lucky. I, my dad worked in the U.S. government, so I got sent to, well, I didn't get sent. His job had us sent to Switzerland. Wow. So lived there for many years, um, enjoyed the skiing, and hmm. all the, went to international school there. And then uh, after university, which I went to in the U.S., um, I moved to London. So I've been in London for the best part of the last 20 21 years, apart from a four-year stint in Sydney, in Australia. But you, you roll your R's far too much to be considered a Brit. Roll? <laughs> well, a, a, you I see, that's a compliment. Or... Yeah, no, well, a, a Brit would say, oh, I, I lived in London, isn't it? But uh, you say, apart from, <laughs> you sound far more refined, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Uh, Sorry I've, to all the Brit listeners. I've, uh, I've, <laughs> I've, I've managed to kick out my Australian accent that I came back from <laughs> Australia with. And uh, yeah, they, I had to do something about that. My British mates didn't, didn't like that, but uh, I still have, I still enjoyed, I loved my time in Australia and uh, I kind of wish that time I still had an Aussie accent. Nice, mate. You've run some big teams around the world, yeah? You've been an MD, uh, Global Brand Director, um, and now you're VP of Global Sales. Talk to me a little bit about those. Um, well, I started off my leadership journey quite a ways into my sales career. So I, I, I sold principally in the media and events sector. So I started off doing the sort of crashing the phones back in 2001, selling, um, you know, high value directory advertising, doing the ad sales uh, piece. And then I fell into the events sector because I joined a publisher that was running um, uh, publications specific to the conference and events industry. Mm. And so from there, I thought, I quite like this. I think it's kind of ideal for me. I love uh, being the person in the middle, facilitating conversation. And that's what events are, really. Uh, mm. Business events, buyers and sellers, bringing them together, trying to match them, trying to introduce them, cool. um, setting up those kinds of introductions was really, really fun. Mm. Um, but I was... I was quite an immature kind of guy. I, I wasn't ready for leadership role and I just was happy to sell. Mm. But eventually I got to a point where I found a lot more enjoyment in coaching 
and mm. empowering others to hit their targets. Okay. And I kind of realized, actually, I'm pretty good at selling, but I'm actually probably better as a sales leader mm. than anything else. Mm. So yeah, that's kind of how I got to I got to my leadership positions. But it really wasn't until um, uh, sort of 10, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I kind of dithered in, in sales for a while, enjoyed it. But then I suppose it's, you know, I got married and was about to have a kid and I kind of grew up very quickly right. and realized, okay, I'm ready to take on more management responsibility, leadership responsibility. And I really enjoy it. Yeah, amazing. And, and now you're uh, leading the sales effort at, at Lido. Do you want to tell me a little bit about Lido? Yeah, Lido is a really exciting uh, marketing technology startup. Um, they headquartered out of Finland. Um, so it's kind of seen as like a, a, a Nordic unicorn, mm. uh, very highly revered in that, in that market. We essentially have a technology that enables companies to convert their traffic uh, into customers more effectively. Okay. So, you know, 98% of people that come onto your website, passive visitors that come onto your website, basically leave without doing anything. Mm. And so you're investing all this money trying to drive that traffic to your website. And then, then you know, then leaving leaving your site without doing anything. Mm. So, our tools enable that activation and that those conversational tools to engage people, mm. uh, which eventually should hopefully turn them either into customers or at least to into leads. And then mm. you can get a better understanding of also who's on your website, you know, like how you track track the effectiveness of your marketing mm. and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, it's a it's a really exciting company. Uh, great, great technology. Uh, it's only three years old. Mm -hmm. but they've grown really fast. It started mm -hmm. off in our founder's bedroom and uh, grown to a business of about eighty mm -hmm. uh, across um, obviously Finland, uh, Sweden, mm -hmm. um, the UK, mm -hmm. and also Spain. Mm -hmm. So my role is to lead our sales efforts across the entire business. You mentioned that it's growing quickly, and I think that's that's what we want to try and focus on a bit today. Is, is talking about the growing pains of these these scale ups, essentially, isn't it? Um, and I know you know you've seen that firsthand. Uh, I, I can't comment on Lido, but let's let's chat about it. I know you and I have seen it firsthand, and, and some companies we've, we've worked in together. Um, yeah. And I think I think that's uh, it's an interesting. Uh, topic to dive into, isn't it, about the, the the growing pains we see across businesses when they're trying to to reach that uh, that unicorn or that that bigger size, basically. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a transitional process mm. that um, a lot of businesses struggle with. Mm. Uh, technology startups struggle with. You know, you you start off basically selling your solution to kind of anybody that's going to buy it from you. Mm. But then soon you realize that that's probably not the most sustainable way to operate because yeah. in so doing, you'd kind of determine that mm, maybe these customers aren't the right customers for us mm. uh, and they're not going to enable us to, to grow. We're spending a lot of time with them. And yeah, that those, those, that's one example. I think also it's a mentality shift. Um, Say the, the more of it. Well, the mentality shift, I think it's um, if you want to become a scale up, you need to act like a scale up. It's like you putting your big boy pants on uh, and uh, and, uh, you know, your customers have higher expectations um, if you if they want to hold on, stay with you for a longer period of time and build that partnership. Mm. Um, I think you need to evolve how you sell the solution, mm. be a lot more consultative. 
Um, you need to build, particularly in the technology space, you have some understanding of what the, the, the market needs. You know, we create, we're on a mission to help activate, you know, qualify and convert website traffic. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean? Um, uh, it means some different things to different organizations. So we need to, we can go about making assumptions about what our customers need, but ultimately we've got a, we're at a critical stage now. We've got about 800 customers mm -hmm. globally, mm -hmm. which is a really nice size to be at. Mm. But now we need to really get that feedback from them. Like, what do you guys need? How, where do you want us to go mm. in terms of our own development of our technology? We have our own ideas, but ultimately we need to build this business around your needs. Mm. And then eventually that will help us to, to grow and scale. Mm. And I think that requires a different level of maturity Mm. Uh, in the business, maybe a little bit of uh, eating humble pie. I was going to say, like that's that's quite a almost a vulnerable position to put yourself in, isn't it? And and there's probably a reluctance from people, especially if it's been built out of your bedroom, because it's yours, right? Like it's it's uniquely yours, and you're putting yourself in this position of kind of <gasps> what's wrong with it? Yeah, right. Absolutely. And I think um, yeah, I think our, our founder is going through that now. Yeah, sure. But he's he's an incredibly impressive guy. He just he works at a different pace than anybody else. I think mm. like most founders, mm. hyper innovative people. Mm. Um, you know, works insane hours. Mm. Uh, but he has a strong human element to him where he doesn't expect other everybody else to be as passionate about the company as he is. Mm. I think that's one of the first transitions a lot of founders you know have to make. It's just realize that they're employing people mm. and people are whilst they're going to be passionate and want to get on a really interesting journey and adventure they also have a life outside and the founders tend not to so i think that's that's the big difference is that in that transition and and, and yeah they need to be vulnerable to the idea that actually this business now isn't really mine it's it's other people's yeah, yeah. it's yours it's yeah. the it's the employees it's mm. the customers mm. You know, and uh, that's a, a lot of letting go. I was actually doing some work on this last week where founding energy is, it's so important to how, or to the success of the business as it grows, right? And the ability, as you say, to let go and really uh, make sure that there's kind of clean, productive energy throughout the business is so important. And I think... That's going back to the original kind of um, the, the question, the uh, the topic of um, of growing pains. It's it's probably the most important thing up front, isn't it? Is how's the founder going to react to letting go a little more, and how do we? Uh, is there a position in the play, in the company for the founder, or you know, is it CEO? Is it something else? And if not, how do we handle that? Um, because a lot of the time there isn't. Right, like um, they they do end up stepping out and doing something else, or selling their shares, or whatever. But it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the most important things I think up front to actually to handle. Yeah, yeah, and actually in our case in Lidu, um, we have a new CEO okay. who's come on board. The founder is still the chief product officer. Gotcha, gotcha. Right, so he's he's the chief innovation officer, basically. Right, cool ideas guy. The ideas guy. Love it. Yeah. And I think that suits him very well. Yeah, great. I think, um, you know, bringing on a, a, a new CEO who's mm. got maybe a more sort of operational 
brain, sure. a more systems-focused brain, a bit more process-driven, mm. I think is the right thing. Mm. Um, and that's a really difficult thing for any founder to mm. acknowledge mm. that, ooh, maybe mm. this is a little bit too big for me, mm. doesn't play to my strengths particularly well, mm. um, but I still want to be heavily involved in sure. driving the growth of this business. Mm. So, because, you know, as his chief product officer, he's at the start of that assembly line, mm. right? And he feeds the information through to marketing, to customer success. Uh, we, you know, gets a lot of intelligence from our customers as well. And, and then, you know, at the end of that is, is us, the mm. sales team. We need to be communicating the right messages um, uh, that comes from product, mm. uh, but also feeding a lot back, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, and taking that becoming that so having that feedback loop and, and taking that intelligence from the market mm. and saying hey actually you know we lost this piece of business to a competitor because of these key things that were missing from our technology sure maybe we should be considering looking at that mm. or you know i'm i'm dealing with these different challenges mm. in this particular sector mm. what can we do Mm. And that's kind of the beauty of having this relatively small business mm. is that you can move, you can be nimble mm. uh, and, and, you know, use real agile methodologies mm. in the way you develop. Mm. Um, so that's, that's fun. And that's what I really like. And that's, I think that's a big difference with the journey I've been on, I suppose, in the last four and a half years or so, since I transitioned from a media and events career into a technology career, marketing, mm. marketing technology career. Um, I, I worked in my own teams quite autonomously, but within larger corporate structures and things move at a you know snail's pace by comparison. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a side to me sometimes I just wanna, I wanna slow down. Like you know, you're used to working at a certain pace, but sometimes you just have to enjoy the, the fact that you're kind of moving at a lightning speed. Mm. But I suppose where I'm trying to impact now with this current startup to scale up process is to bring in, not slow things down, but make sure that we keeping up with that pace in a way that is still sustainable and we've got the right systems and processes in place. Mm. And our teams are, are also empowered with the knowledge and know-how. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's... I'm, I'm cognizant we've dived straight into, uh, you know, the, the nitty gritty around um, and growing pains. I do want to come back to all of the stuff ups you've made in your career because, um, you know, I'm sure you're not squeaky clean. Um, but <laughs> just on that point, um, I think accelerating because startups do move at a, a mile a minute, right? They're, yep. they're fast. And that's accelerating or uh, decelerating is probably one of the, the growing pains as well, isn't it? And figuring out what's our new pace, because we move at this new rate, we're far, or we move at this rate, we're fun, young, nimble startup. Oh, hang on, there's 80 of us now. Oh, hang on, there's 200 of us now. We're no longer a startup, right? You, you, you can't really call us, a, call a company a startup at 200, can you? I don't know, maybe you can, um, but it feels like when that acceleration happens and the sort of figuring out of um, how we go about our day-to-day -to, -day to make sure that everybody is taken care of in the wider system that is the business uh, is, yeah, is also considering how quickly we do things, right? To And as you and I have seen firsthand, 
if you change your mind every five minutes, it's just going to annoy the hell out of your teams, right? Um, Absolutely. You feel you feel um, uncomfortable every morning because you're not sure what what's the next piece of news I'm going to receive today <laughs> yeah. that's going to have directly impact my role. But oftentimes, the people that make those decisions mm. are not conscious of the impact of those decisions mm. on the rest of the wider team, mm. uh, and they kind of like they think, "Oh, hey, you're on this journey. It's an adventure. We we told you from the start it'd be a roller coaster ride." Mm. Yeah, maybe so, but I think people need a certain level of stability mm. within that growth mm. and feel like they get they have a voice as well. Mm. Um, that's super important. Yeah, it's it's. I was just thinking because you, when you join a startup, you kind of go, okay, great, it's a startup. Like anything can happen. Sure, I'll be the janitor today. Or I'll go be the COO tomorrow. Whatever. But then once you start joining and there's a perception shift, isn't there? Because people start interviewing for a role at this established company and then they, there's expectations that come with that, right? Um, you know, okay, well, I want to make sure that I'm, I have a sense of belonging in my role, that my well-being is taken care of, that I'm, I'm psychologically safe and that my, my, uh, my joining and leaving are adhered to really well, right? So people actually have all that kind of psychological safety and that's, I don't know, like I, I, you know, I love that stuff, but I wonder whether that's something which is kind of often forgot, forgotten, sorry, um, in, uh, in, in startup world, because it's just like, cool, let's go, it's fun. Then you become this bigger thing uh, and you need to attend to all of that stuff and nobody's kind of given it a second thought, right? Well, yeah, this is something uh, that's quite interesting is, you know, we talk about kind of slowing things down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think you need to slow things down if you're going to get conscious of what's going on in your team mm. and their well-being mm. and their own psychological safety. And, mm. you know, um, you can fall, particularly in the remote world where video calls are always have an agenda mm. and very task focused. Mm. Like you can literally not talk to somebody for two weeks and then jump into a meeting and then within 20 seconds, you're, you're into business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's right. Um, I've really enjoyed the last couple of weeks getting more FaceTime. Like I was in Sweden last week. I'm going to be heading down to our Spain office as well this week. Just the level of productivity away from your laptop is immense. Mm. You know, just those water cooler uh, uh, moments. Mm. But you can create those um, in the remote world as well. We'll say a bit more about that. How? I'm oh, there's a there's a little little technique that I learned from you, Sam. Um, <laughs> the good old check-in. <laughs> just to be clear, I did not set that up, right? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So the check-in is a good one. The um, check-in is really good. Um, you know, I think it's also overt um, communication, yeah, like sure. being like really intentional and purposeful in all the communication that you you send out. So mm -hmm. obviously, uh, past role in Shootsta, mm -hmm. we were promoting this idea of leveraging video communication mm -hmm. on a more regular basis. I think there was some real great um, pieces of research and eye-opening pieces of research around the erosion of trust in leadership mm. during the COVID period, mm. um, purely because even though you may not have direct contact with a lot of the business leaders, just seeing them every day in the office mm. um, creates trust in mm. itself. 
Uh, whereas uh, in, in the remote world, you don't see them and you assume that they're just up to something, but you don't know what they're doing. Mm. And that has a direct impact on people's trust mm. in the leadership, which has an impact on their productivity levels, because mm. then they start creating a lot of stories in their own minds about sure. what, what's going on up there. Well, what are they doing? Or do they have their best? Do they have my best interest in their heart? So it's an intentional visibility. Absolutely. Intentional okay. communication, intentional uh, visibility, taking a breath. When you have a meeting, let's go around. Let's have a chat. What's going on in people's lives? Or even having dedicated meetings that don't involve talking shop. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So actually talking about us as a unit or not even talking about that, just having a catch up. Right. Yeah. Um, so the the agenda for this meeting is not a meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's almost like getting uh, the temperature of the room. Sure. And oh, that's a great analogy. Yeah. yeah. Just really understanding, and it's also just acknowledging what is going well and what's not, and, mm. and giving people the the space to be open about that kind of mm. stuff. Love that. We've kind of, we've touched on the, the, the founder's place and uh, we've also talked about the, the pace of the business and kind of addressing that. So I'm wondering, what are you, you know, in, in your experience, what are the uh, growing pains do you see in these scale-ups, um, you know, going from startup to scale-up? What stands out in your mind is like a, yeah, we need to address that uh, when, we're, when we're scaling or companies need to address that when they're scaling. Well, we, we touched on this a little bit um, in that people's well-being, uh, their learning and development, mm. um, having clear programs in place uh, for that. Um, I think uh, having a real structured onboarding program mm. um, and, you know, uh, investing a lot more in your staff. I think that's the big thing. Mm. You kind of, when you're a startup, it's just exciting to be involved mm. and you're on this journey. You don't really have to think too much about the day-to-day -day, like growth of your team. You're kind of taking that kind of for granted. Mm. From a sales perspective, it's about trying to create a much more predictable mm. revenue operation. Yeah. I think startups are awful at forecasting. Well, probably, probably with good reason, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really hard to, to create a predictable <laughs> revenue model. Mm. But sometimes it may mean missing a quarterly target in order to adjust mm. the business towards mm. accelerating again. Because mm. yeah. they're not used to, they're so used to going at 100 miles an hour mm. continually mm. and finding a way to hit their financial targets mm. that they don't want to stop. It's like, well, if we need, if we want to, if we want to achieve, you know, four times the growth that we're currently getting, we may need to kind of take one quick step back in order to take four forward. Yeah. So it's, it's realigning the mm. business around uh, that, that pause. Hey, the, yeah, that's such a, yeah, it's such an important point. And it's one that almost no teams are willing to take is or no CEO, well, very few CEOs are willing to go, let's just stop everything for a minute and have a think about it. Um, because especially when you see, you know, a scale, what comes with the scale up is investment, yeah? yeah? And with the investment comes investors. 
<laughs> and those people want to know how their money is going to perform, right? And I, I see this, um, you know, of course, there's an important focus on that. But I think the point you make about what are we, how are we going to treat our people? How are we going to actually make sure that they stick around and they have a pleasurable working experience? Because, you know, we people spend so much time focusing on how much money we're going to make and how many customers we're going to get, that they forget about the people who are actually winning the customers and making the money. Absolutely. And, and when they done that, then all of a sudden their attrition rate goes through the roof and they're wondering how they retain talent. And yeah, that's yeah, so it's such a, an important point, I think. Talent retention, acquisition and retention is, is crucial. Mm. Like, because every person's role mm. in a startup mm. is so crucial. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're a small machine and every little cog mm. has its function mm. and importance. Um, and, and those people could leave and take the idea with them and start another one, right? So it's almost like treat them like gold dust. Yeah, that, that's an extreme circumstance that yeah. happens for sure. But I think, um, you know, you, you, you come to rely on, on the people that are in the business sure. that, um, you know, they, they need to be there to kind of make sure that you're continuing to grow. And um, if, if they leave, you're often, you know, kind of left where, oh, it's not just a, you know, a month sort of lag, but potentially three months because you're needing to go and spend time recruiting the right mm -hmm. person, mm -hmm. going through that hiring process, mm -hmm. going through an onboarding process. Next thing you know, three months down the line, there's this huge gap mm -hmm. in knowledge and productivity in that potential particular role mm -hmm. that sets you back, sets you back massively. Whereas as I think you, you, you've, you always, you share a lot of data on this kind of stuff where, you know, people don't leave their jobs usually because purely because of money. No, it's also leave, because they, they their leave, manager is not leave a bad manager. Yeah. They leave a bad manager. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why that's another growing pain is in startup mode, mm. the senior leadership team are the ones that are relied on uh, to lead. Mm. Whereas but, as you grow, we need to empower others yeah, within the yeah. business yeah, yeah. to make decisions, mm. to, to lead as well, and to manage their teams mm. in a way that is, yeah, sustainable. Mm. For sure. Yeah, mate, I've, I've left several bad managers. Um, I've also had a very good manager fire me. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, you're right, like most people, especially now and someone actually said something relatively it's a bit out there last to me last night but you know um we're now <laughs> she actually said to me having a job is so 2019 and i was just like okay say a little bit more and what she meant by that was not that it's not good to have a job is that we're now in a place in the world where everybody was forced to stay at home for a long period of time and reevaluate their life right it put covid put or the, you know, the lockdowns put uh, a lot of things into a different perspective for people. And we've reached this place, I think, where we need to look at how we partner with our, with our team members mm -hmm. rather than, hey, you work for me. It's how do we partner together to get you everything you want and I get everything I want. That's the tone I set mm -hmm. from the first interview. Love that. Is 
I it's similar to like a, a meeting with a potential customer. Mm. Like I'm here to establish whether we're a right fit for you, but mm. also really important that you know we establish whether uh, you guys are the right fit for us as well. And in, in, in the hiring process, I want to have an interaction with them. I don't want it to be a one way, you know, me questioning them and then them answering. Mm. They they're pre qualifying us as much as we're pre qualifying them, and so being vulnerable in that space and and uh, being open to that, uh, it's it is about you know demonstrating that we're creating a, a an experience mm. and that they can determine a lot of what they do. Mm. I more or less tell them, whilst you're reporting to me, you're basically my boss. I'm here to serve you. Mm. I'm here to serve, make sure that you are happy and that you are excelling in your role. Mm. And if that's the case, then the wider business, you know, achieves its goals. Should we talk about you? Haven't we been talking about me? Uh, We've talked today? a little bit about you, but what I, what, what I want to know is, um, well, let's start with the fun one. So what was the most fun you've had in a role? Oh, um, I think it was when I was um, I was running uh, marketing technology events in Australia. Uh, we had a lot of fun because we got the chance to run these really um, snazzy events for CMOs and heads of digital in these five-star resort hotels in the Gold Coast. <laughs> Not not too shabby. Hey? <laughs> yeah. Basically, we'd, we'd we'd have a room of say a hundred CMOS from mm -hmm. various brands, and then uh, we funded the event through sponsorship. So a lot of the technology providers, they they would pay obviously to have access to these people, and we do be a three day event. Hmm. Uh, half the time would be a lot of content conference and great keynote speakers, mm -hmm. but then the other half of the time it would be networking. So some facilitated networking, speed meetings and the mm. like, but a lot of it was activity based. So we'd go go-karting, we'd do barbecue school. Of course, you got to do barbecue school in Australia, right? Barbecue school. Yes, we call it barbecue <laughs> school. Um, uh, or play poker or, you know, it's just basically getting people to have conversations. Very cool. And I really enjoyed those uh, incredible inherent passion in what they do and working in the technology space. I've got to say, you know, we had a lot of lot of fun, mm. a lot of hard work. Mm. Many events are incredibly difficult and stressful, but um, I loved building conversations mm. and facilitating business. And a lot of that was done at you know at one o'clock in the morning, drinking espresso martinis at the bar. You know, so <laughs> that was uh, that was fun. Didn't didn't feel too good the next day when I had to get on stage and MC the conference. But uh, <laughs> apart from that. Uh, I'd say, yeah, that's definitely the most fun. Cool. Nice one. Nice one. All right. So let's flip that. What's the biggest mistake you've made and, and the lesson you learned as a result? It's a really weird one. I can't put my finger on one specific mistake, uh, but I'd say a couple of overarching themes that I have, I've learned a lot from. Um, when I first came into the working world, being Generation X, you know, we... Um, your boss was like, whatever they told you to do, you would do. Mm -hmm. Like there was no two-way conversation mm -hmm. like there is today. And so when I became a boss, mm -hmm. hey, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do what I, what I'm saying, you mm -hmm. know. And I kind of the authority mm -hmm. got to my head. Sure. 
in, in a really bad way. And it was weird, weird because it was kind of counter my actual personality. Mm -hmm. But I felt like I had to act a certain way. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm in a management position. These people reported to me. And so you do what I'm what I do and uh, what I'm you do as I say mm. and that's the way it is. Mm. And I'm gonna go and make myself a cup of coffee because I can just hang out and do my thing. Um, wasn't maybe that extreme, but I think it was a big learning experience to understand that it's a more collaborative uh, relationship mm. that's that's required. And um, I'm a much better boss for it, yeah, much sure. more myself. Uh, you know, I have more of a sense of humor. I don't mm. take things too seriously. Mm. And for me, just that idea of um, working for them, yeah, more sure. than them working for me, that's a philosophy. That's, mm. that, that's, that's key. Another mistake I made is I um, recruiting salespeople. It's a bizarre thing. I was always much better at recruiting um, outside of my core expertise. Mm. Because I could actually see what I needed more than sales. I think I got a little bit too uh, emotionally vested in, in, in bringing salespeople in. So I got that wrong quite a lot. Um, and whereas with like, if I was recruiting for marketing roles or operational roles, I was really clear. I was much more scientific. I knew exactly what I needed. So I think the lesson um, in recruitment is um even if you think you know exactly what you want and what you need it isn't always necessarily the case uh you need to be getting multiple opinions sure okay. on that i thought well i know sales i've done sales for all these years i know exactly what i need mm. the moment i started involving non-sales people in my sales recruitment we actually got it right a lot more yeah, because okay. they ask different questions. Yeah, interesting. So that that's that's another thing, and I think one last thing um, that comes to mind is because of me not uh, being calculating enough or scientific enough in the way I, I recruited, mm. I recruited some real bozos. Like, <laughs> they weren't really nice people. <laughs> like they were good at like, they had the chat. Yeah, sure. In the interview. But they weren't particularly, they weren't collaborative mm. people. They were, you can be a lone wolf salesperson, but mm. still like be conscious of other people. Mm. I had a couple of really bad recruitment decisions. And actually, I kind of got to a point where whilst it wasn't, ver wasn't actually um, explicitly told to me, more or less, there were a couple of people in that team were, uh, that were just going to leave if I wasn't going to move this person on because they were so disruptive. Wow. I kind of allowed that mm. behavior because I thought, oh, well, they're generating revenue. Wow. That's, so that's the most important thing, right? It's kind of like the um, uh, Netflix put it really well, right? There's no, no, um, no room here for, for brilliant jerks, I think is what they say, right? Yes. So we don't care how much you sell. If you're a jerk, there's no space for you here. Yeah, I think um, Gary V. He yeah. talks about that a lot. Yeah, he's like, I don't care mm. who, who who the heck you are. Mm. You know, don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. It's not it doesn't work. It mm. just destroys the harmony in the group. Mm. And also, what it does, it creates this atmosphere where they think, well, they're they're getting special treatment. Yeah, yeah. 
and that's not fair. And you know, I don't want to be involved in that kind of business. Yeah. Uh, no, you need to be very, um, uh, yeah, monotonous really with the way you handle things, don't you? It's there's there's one one rule which everyone lives by, including you as a leader. Yeah. What was the thing you find now the hardest about managing teams? Um, well, I'd say in the, my current role, it's the being remote. Uh, but there's kind of like, that's just the reality. You know, even um, with my team in the UK, I'm, I'm, I'm based in the UK, but we're principally remote. And you have to be a lot more uh, organized mm. and systematic. Mm. You can't be off the cuff, like you can potentially in face-to-face environments. Mm. I find that really challenging. Mm. Um, I love being face-to-face. I'm a hyper-extroverted kind of guy. I feed off energy of people. I can absolutely attest to that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, a good friend of ours is, is even higher up on the extroverted scale. <laughs> oh, my God. Mr. Baz Deans. <laughs> yeah. uh, bless him. I love that guy. Um, probably the best leader I've ever had, by the way. Um, if anybody hasn't heard this podcast, go listen to him. Um, <laughs> What a character. He's an um, absolute character. And a very he's a very good leader, isn't he? He uh what what is it you think that he personifies that, that makes him such a good leader? And we'll come back to what you were answering. Oh, well he he personifies uh vulnerability. Yeah, that's true. Uh just a natural excitement and energy mm. and thirst for life mm. and a genuine empathy mm. for people. Mm. Like I, I've never come across it. Yeah, no. Like someone who's book. And you can't near on selfless. You can't fake that stuff either, can you? Yeah. 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 You can tell when someone is faking it. And you can also I, I remember when I first met him, I was like, is this guy for real? And twelve years later, you're like, Yep, he's for real. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you still question it. I like he he, I, he was my leader for what, three three years. Mm. And um, yeah. Great, great three years it was. Tough things. Yeah, coming back to that topic. Yep. I think um yeah, that distance, the remoteness, needing to be organized is, is incredibly mm. uh, important. Um, it sounds like you've got some pretty good tools there, um, or you, you figured out some good ways of dealing with that. That, um, that, that uh, idea of having a meeting just to, uh, what was the, the, the phrase you used? Just a temperature check. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love that. So, you know, say a bit more about how you, you would handle that because it's, I mean, let's be honest, remote work ain't going anywhere, is it? Where in fact I'd suggest that I'd be surprised if there are you know it's not heavily favoured in terms of remote jobs in the next few years, right? Um, the next decade for sure. Um, yeah, I think it's about everyone coming together and having a voice and yeah, right. and, and um, giving people an opportunity to express what they're on what they're doing. Mm. Um, you can kind of forget about people mm. if you're not careful. Mm that are just kind of get on with their jobs and they they don't get enough praise uh, for what they do. Um, I actually, you know, we run a, a weekly meeting mm-hmm. um, specifically for the UK team. Um, I took, uh, stole um, Baz's idea. It's something we did in our, in our old hands. It was called the HPFO. It's, uh, it's a really simple concept. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's one of your concepts. No, no, it's not mine. Where ahead of the meeting, you, you literally put in, like, you think about, you reflect on the previous week, and then you put in your, your highlight, what you've been progressing with, 
your fire or feedback. So feedback is also really important. It's a chance to everybody to they want to acknowledge another member of the team or a piece of feedback that's coming from an external customer, or you want to give a fire. It's like something's burning. Uh, we need to address this now. Now that we've got the whole team together. Gotcha. And then you've got your objective. So gotcha. you don't cover everything, but basically. I moderate that, and everybody has a chance to talk about what's been going on, what mm-hmm. projects they're doing, mm. what's the progress, mm. and I think that level of communication mm. is makes us more productive. Mm-hmm. But I think also just coming together yeah, yeah. in that environment, mm-hmm. um, meetings can be quite dominated by presentations and one or two people talking. Whereas in those environments, everyone has to say something. Yeah, everyone that's has to have a contribution. That's so important, isn't it? Getting people's voices in the room because the, there will always be people who talk more. And as a leader, it's your job to actually elevate those who are the introverts. For you know, they may not be introverted; they may just be quieter. But you know, generally, they're kind of said in the same sentence. Those two things, aren't they? So you elevate the people who are quieter and say to, you know, respectfully to the people that talk about cool, I just want to hear from somebody else. Um, and make sure you get those voices in the room. It's very important. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Salespeople are classic. Oh, mate. People that just dominate rooms. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Last question for you then. Advice. Give me some advice. I'm a newbie or, or anybody really. So, like, having learned what you learned, going through what you did, uh, you know, being a bit of a jerk boss to you know, figuring out actually I need you to be my boss. What would be, you know, the the hack that you've got in there for somebody? I just really to be be open, um, be empathetic, um, be really honest mm. with yourself. Mm. Um, know that you're not going to know all the answers. Mm. How could you, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but sometimes when you get into leadership positions, you feel like you need to know everything. Mm. And just being comfortable not knowing everything mm. and letting your team know that you don't know everything. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think that is huge. And your team will respect you for that. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, what's leadership? It's about um, you know uh, setting an example uh, and inspiring others. and um, them ultimately wanting to follow you, mm. you know, and yeah, and feeling safe enough to do so. Exactly. Yeah. And when was the last time you know a leader had all the right answers? Mm. Like all the best leaders in the world surround themselves with people that are typically smarter than them. Mm. I love being the dumbest guy in the room. I, I want I want to be the dumbest guy in the room. I'm not so dumb. I'm not, Obviously, I'm, you're not I'm today. Not, I'm not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I won't comment on that. <laughs> I'll just leave that one where it is. Yeah, leave that yeah. hanging there. Um, but surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, that. that are ambitious, that have their own own drive and, and desire to develop, mm. and just facilitate, make help make that happen. Mm. And when that happens, then you're going to produce really good results as a business. Awesome. Mate, thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, we will we'll do so again. Because um, I reckon you and I could probably talk for probably another couple of hours. So we'll, we'll get you on to discuss another topic um, down the track a little bit. But yeah, thank you again for, for joining us. Thanks for having me, Sam. All good.
Thanks for tuning in to Braver Leaders, the podcast where we discuss with leaders where they got leadership right, but also where they got it very, very wrong. If you'd like to know more, visit us on braverleaders.com or you can email us directly on team at braverleaders.com. Stay tuned and we'll see you very, very soon.